What were you going to say, Chad? I'm a little feels... disappointed that none of you guys were as jazzed about Metanium as an awesome group set that name is... as I was. Because I'm just that is an awesome group set name, Metanium. I I told you I mean, the I'm... fishing stuff is far far better than the the bike stuff. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, we ended up with all these ridiculous bike names, and now we got Qs. Meanwhile, they got Metanium over on the fishing side. I mean, what is going on here with Shimano? That would, I mean, we could have like a Metallica or like a, you know, like a Megadeth type font with it. Metanium, the grapple set. Like, I'm... Absolutely. I, I mean, I bought GRX. I totally would buy Metanium just if they renamed GRX. Welcome back to the Velo Chumps podcast. We got the whole crew today. Quick introductions because I got a quick topic to start on. Chad Locker, how's it going? Hello, it's going well. Things are good. Great. Mike Green, good. It's going awesome. Better than Chad. Awesome. Randy Nicewanger. Hello. How you doing? And uh, we got Ryan Brainer, but he has titled himself Indecisive in the uh in the studio today so indecisive about bikes i assume right yep i figured that's my mo by now yep i i'm assuming you did not select a bike yet no sir awesome that's what we figured that's what we like let's keep this <laughs> keep this uh segment rolling for the rest of the podcast we'll have a, a, a weekly segment what bike is ryan buying this week and of course he'll never buy one but anyway i wanted to tell you guys especially the local guys, that after last week's podcast, I did some research, and I found something very surprising. Did you guys know, well, according to Josh Portner, who, you know, this guy, he gets um, he gets paid to be a consultant for pro teams, so, you know, you think like to think he knows what he's talking about. He said that shaved legs are worth five to seven watt savings at the speeds we go at did you guys know that it, oh. it's a shocker that women are not faster around us then <laughs> <laughs> i i know a few women to get drop you green so hey, i had to say it is, is that like a total five like if you sum up like a hundred mile ride do you gain no seven no, no. Watts? five watts it saves you five watts just like anything else so what's interesting about that is five to seven watts savings for shaving your legs, which is free, is the same as equivalent to two complete ceramic bearing overhauls of your bike. That means wheel hub bearings, bottom bracket, and OSPW. If you did that all together, you'd have to do that twice, which you can't, to get the same savings as shaving your legs. So the key to that is... You guys that ride with me, I didn't know this, but I'm saving five to seven watts versus you guys. So what I expect is this summer, when it gets warm out, I expect to see some nice and smooth legs out of you three. Otherwise, I don't want to hear you complaining if I'm dropping the hammer. So what do you think? Mike Green, you're going to shave your legs this summer? Oh, man. That, that is... Uh, uh, 
probably not. Probably man, not. That, it's like it's like quadruple the savings of an OSPW by itself. I, you know, mostly look at ninety percent of the reason is going to be because my wife will judge me. <laughs> She'll probably think your legs look better, man. I mean, your legs look better shaved, so I think you should go for it. How about maybe you? I'll, I'll start slow and uh, maybe I'll use the clippers and bring it down low mm-hmm. and then go from there. There you go. There you right. go. He's waiting for his RCC Chicago uh, Gillette razor. Yeah. Randy, nice one. Are you going to shave your legs? You know, I have the OSPW and the ceramic bearings. I think I've did my part. Uh, no, man. You get more more watts from shaving your legs. So yeah, how about you, I Ryan? Went, I went on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> I will absolutely shave my legs. As you guys know, I'm all about the value proposition. That's so right. Five to seven watts I, for free. Yeah, so if I don't have to spend $500 on an OSPW, then you guarantee I will come with shaved legs. Look, it's not free. The emotional the emotional baggage that you got to carry along with it is... is <laughs> I was just going to say, your wife is going to need therapy, and that's going to cost something. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. This is not a problem. I actually the- shaved my legs the majority of last summer, so this isn't new to me. There you go. We- How about you, Chad? Do you shave the Chad? It's great for tan lines in the summer. I mean, it's got benefits. What I want to know, though, is my arms are every bit as hairy as the legs. Like, can I get a bonus two watts? I mean, so, yes, actually. And where do you stop? You know, because there's a fine line there where it's like you're showing up with no eyebrows at the group ride. I mean, where does it it fit? You know, your eyebrows are behind (laughs) your sunglasses. So you just need to get arrow sunglasses and you're fine. So then why does why does Quinn Simmons have a full beard in the Peloton? Okay, yeah, exactly. That's what I want to know now. Because if, if arms and legs, skin suit and then the whole beard, maybe that's why he's not, you know, taking more stage wins. Right? Maybe, I don't know. Beard? I don't know. Is that a training beard? I don't know. Some people know the sacrifices, others do not. If you Some trim man. it well enough, can you get, like, turbulence? Can you have, do, like, a turbuncle beard shave, like the zip wheels? Can Is that a thing? Has anyone... Yes, is it wheel... Wheel... Get a whale, um, a whale beard. Is it wind I think tunnel? You should try that. <laughs> but seriously, it's kind of crazy that you're you're racing professionally and you have ceramic everything. You're you're racing for trek and skin suit the whole nine yards, but you have this big old bushy beard. Well, I didn't research the beard aerodynamics. Maybe it's fine. I don't know. I'll have to Maybe. research that for next week. Maybe you can right. offset it with one of those ridiculous, like, TT Lord Vader helmets. Yeah. Maybe that's the key. Or, actually, you know what would be good for him is the specialized um, head sock, because he just tucked the beard into the sock. That would that would solve the whole problem. It's a whole other set of problems. Cycling, I know this is a cycling podcast, but I've often thought the same exact thing about female Olympic sprinters is they have some gigantic hair. And they're sprinting at probably 25 miles per hour, 26, 27 miles an hour. Same thing, though, is aerodynamics comes into a play at, what, 16 to 17 miles per hour? And these girls are doing that for at least 50 yards. So, Yeah, I don't know. I only researched shaved legs. And it turns out that if – it turns out that I get enough of a savings that if you're complaining – during a ride this summer, I'm just going to tell you you should have shaved your legs. That's going to be my... And then I'm going to turn up the heat. I'm going to n- dial it up a notch and tell you better shave for next time. 
So, are so you, in what are you saying our, is, is that our, that's our deficit? If we shave our legs, are you guaranteeing us uh, your your wheel for the entire ride, like a 20-mile-per-hour century? Sure. That's not a problem. But if you don't so shave, then you'll see what's up. So, Eric, what we need to do is at our – we said we were going to leave chain lube and stuff at our meetup spot, so we also need to pack some razors. Now, I wouldn't recommend shaving on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> it's – it's not shaving with just a dry, you know, a dry razor is not the uh, it's not the you most comfortable use... thing to do. No, it's not dry. You have your chamois cream. You can use your chamois cream to shave your legs. All right. All right. So I think we're probably set. Then the scientific test needs to be done, right? So there needs to be a group ride, I guess, pre-shave, right? Yep. Like like three of them, same route meter the effort right collect the data on the power meters and then three rides post shave right yeah so yeah we're gonna do science this summer do science to see if it's bunk or he just mocked you into something like that'd be great i mean i'm gonna have shaved legs regardless so it'll be the other three of you that'll do the science experiment i feel like we just heard a mike green factoid from eric that was He's I mean, just trying to get us all shave our whole bodies <laughs> head to toe. Yeah, Eric, can you put can you please add the link to that article that he I, I can't. I've never done this before, but I might even put it in the, the show notes of this podcast for anyone who is doubting the authenticity of my research about shave legs. Now is that combined because I think he's got a thing on clothing, tight fitting clothing, wind drag, the strap on your helmet, like Yes. But that all has to be there too, no, or no? No, no, Just no, no, no. All of those things are extra. So the whole the thing that I will link is five free things you can do to save watts that are you know free. You don't have to spend any money. Like, and he compares them all. They're all better than ceramic bike overhauls. So, but the it's it's additive. It's not like you have to do all of these things. So shaving legs at the speeds we would ride at is about five to seven watts. Pro speeds is higher. It's more like 10 to 15 watts. I, you can't convince me of this. I'm I'm convinced that it's merely the same as the sock height for the UCI. It's a visual thing for television cameras, and the rest <laughs> of us do it because the pro. I do not believe there's five watts. No, I don't. Not gonna buy it. Well, Randy just Randy just texted me the name of his Brazilian waxer that he's <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking we could probably share that on the next podcast yeah. as a uh, like a, a group a, on a group code or something yeah 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 Actually, we'll see what we can do I laser the, the laser lair in Frankfurt Illinois <laughs> oh man does anyone know speaking of this value proposition does anyone know how much does v, um, a set of velo toes save you. Because those things are cheap. I don't even know what those are. It doesn't save you anything. I think it costs you $55 for a pair of weird... Touche. Touche. Yep. Exactly. So. All right. Well, I think that's enough about shave legs. That was quite a, a long time we spent talking about shave legs. But I do expect to see you guys nice and uh, smooth this summer. So, um, Or at least half of our listeners will. Yeah. Yeah. So, the... So getting into some topics here about stuff going on in the bike world. Did any of you guys hear about this podcast? Tom Boonen was on a podcast in Belgium, and he said that Tadej Pokachar was riding at a disadvantage on his Colnago and that he could ride potentially two kilometers per hour faster if he was on the bikes that were either run by 
Quick Step, Ineos, or Jumbo Visma. Anyone hear about this? I read about I it. I heard about it. Yeah. So now we will specify that after this happened, Bonin quickly came out and said that he should have chose his words differently and he's sorry and he loves Colnagos and whatnot. But he's also a pretty big figure, right? He's a uh, famous guy, Tom Bonin. I mean, if anyone that doesn't know him, he was a prolific rider in the classics, which is the kind of races that are going on now. He won Paris-Roubaix four times, Flanders three times. He's retired now, but he was a really, he was a legendary racer, we'll call it, right? So, of course, he has value as a sponsor, and he has value in his name, and he can't go around making fun of bike brands. And so, of course, he's going to come back and say, oh, yeah, of course, I uh, I didn't really mean that, and I don't, you know, I shouldn't have said that, and so on and so on. But us, the Velo Chumps, we don't have any cachet with our names, so we can say whatever we want. So I guess my question is, based on this, do you find it interesting the pro rider would come out and say, even though he went back and said that he was sorry, but his first thing that came to mind, that certain bikes were better than others, all the way to the point of two kilometers an hour. Does that surprise anybody? No. And I think, he <laughs> no. Every word, I think he meant every word he said. He just got caught and had to walk back his words. I think we should ask, though, David Gadu and Jonas if they feel like Tade's Colnago is causing a mini causing him any watts i guess because he destroyed everyone well i will say to that ryan he is on the newer colnago this year that is allegedly a more aerodynamic and more advanced and so on and so on bike versus the one he was on last year but as we know tade pogacar is probably the best if not one of the top two three bike riders in the world right now but I guess it's possible that he could be riding at a disadvantage if his bike is not that great. My initial thoughts when I heard all of this was the majority of these races, or at least in my head, are done in a group ride. And then they're won on a climb when aerodynamics are have a little to no impact. They're doing less than 18 miles an hour. Yes, there could be an impact if they were doing a, a solo time trial on a drop bar road bike. I could imagine that. And even two kilometers an hour might be pushing it, although I guess at 1.2 miles per hour. But I, I thought he was like any regular human being. He was exaggerating to make a point that Pogachar would be faster on a, on a different bike other than a Colnago. So... Yeah, it had some substance to it, but I thought it was a little bit blown out of proportion for just an angry guy to make a point is what I was thinking. Okay, but then does that mean that us regular chumps, we should be looking at certain specific bike brands that might be better than others? Does that lead in credence to all of this marketing that a bike is going to make us faster? not, in my opinion, because people would say the ethos that I have is not aerodynamic and... People would say my my new 2022 20, LA, which has got the SL7 aerodynamics, is way more aerodynamic. And I'd say under 28 miles an hour or and all the rides that I've done, I don't feel any speed improvement on the LA versus my uh, Athos. So, no, I, I think for 99% of regular people, it's going to have it, – it should hold zero weight behind it, in my opinion. 
Okay, if we go back to Tade's first Tour de France win, if we want to talk about unaerodynamic tech, I believe he was on Campy, whatever Gen mm-hmm. Campy that was. It could have very well been a hodgepodge of both uh, the 12-speed, um, what is it, EPS and, I don't know, the 11-speed EPS, because I can't recall when they finally made the switch over to 12-speed EPS. I also recall a good half the time, I think he rode a bike with rim brakes, not even disc brakes, so cables hanging out in the wind or whatever. Um, and I think he won it actually on, what is it, was that the year they did the time trial climb where you could switch bikes midway yep. through? So I believe he didn't wear a heart rate monitor, and I think he went from, if you want to say Colnago did not have an aerodynamic time trial bike, I think he was doing pretty well on his time trial bike before he even switched over to his rim brake climbing bike. I can't recall if that's what he finished with that year, but it very well could have been. And, you know, he took the tour that year. So to say that the bike, eh, it doesn't matter for that guy. He's a freak. It doesn't really matter. He's that good. And I think he just, he probably actually shamed the marketing for Specialized, which if I recall, I think that was Boonin's last mm-hmm. sponsor was Specialized. So, you know, I don't know if he's still picking up checks from Specialized. I think he's trying to market his classified hub. For all we know, maybe Campy and Colnago snubbed him on going all in on the classified hubs or licensing rights. And he just had an ax to grind. I don't know. I think he's, his hub's on a Jaeger. I think he's got a custom Jaeger was where I first saw his hub. So I don't know. And maybe he just felt like, you know, making up stuff like the rest of us on this podcast. I have no idea <laughs> what he was doing. But, I, you know, certainly I think there's a lot more marketing powerhouse behind some of the other big brands. But I don't know that anyone on the pro field, um, it matters I think the level of bikes they have are probably all similar enough. Um, certainly with group sets. I mean, I think for a while it wasn't um, – Oh, who was it? I can't think of their their super long name. They were on Altegra for a while when they were a Conti team. That Aber, Wagney, Wainer, you know. Inamarshi, Wanzi, Gobert. Yeah, there we go. I can't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rolls off the tongue. They were on Altegra, and I think Taco Vanderhorn, like, smoked everyone one race. So, I mean, again, tilting in his hoods, arrow advantage. And I, I think there's some stat that the majority of the arrow on the bike actually comes from the rider's position. That I could believe, right? We're the most frontal area in the wind, so... Call it 80 percent, something north of 50 percent, somewhere in there. You're probably better off having a bike fit and actually having an engine yourself than any incremental gain that comes on the bike. That incremental gain probably comes if you have two Tade Paja cars going up against each other, which, you know, maybe we saw last year at the tour. Maybe we didn't. But I I don't really put a lot of stake into the bike. If someone's going to give you a bike for free, race it and maintain well, it. Call it a day. I, I tend to agree with you there, Chad. But if. Um, the bike doesn't really matter. Why is indecisive here going back and forth between seven different bike uh, models and can't just pick one if they're all the same? I don't know because we've all told him what bike to buy like six <laughs> times over. He just won't do it. <laughs> to echo, so I originally said I, I do think it matters. And I think it depends in the context in which we're, to Mike's point, for 90 seven percent of us it does not matter like to chad's point too i think if you improve your position you can do things like you know get a nice kit that is you know more form fitting not flapping in the wind there's so many other things you can do to shave your legs your arrow shave your legs to improve your position in aerodynamics and overall power and speed on the bike um but I, i i mean i think like do does the bike matter from like a $1,200 LA sport to a, you know, whatever 
comp level or expert level SL7. I think there is a difference there, but I don't think that's what chumps should be focusing their time and attention on. There are so many other fish to fry in the, I don't know, being comfortable on the bike, getting power on the bike, stuff like that. So I do think the bike matters depending on the level of build you're looking at. But for those of us that are out there to have fun, get exercise, stay healthy, doesn't matter. So Ryan, if that's the case though, is there something you think is going to be different in the performance of all these bikes you're looking at, or is it more non-performance related features that you can't make up your mind around? Uh, a combination. I mean, I feel like we've talked about this enough that our audience kind of knows my struggle, but I'm looking for value. Um, I want something, I work on my own stuff, so I'm looking for something that is easy to work on. Um, and uh, I, part of my indecisiveness is that there's so many awesome bikes on the market that are available at approximately the same price point, And that's part of my struggle. If there was only one or two options, well, I would have made up my mind by now. To me, it sounds like you got, it feels like you've got bikes spread, uh, separated into two camps, the one that you want and the one that you can afford <laughs> or that you're willing to spend the money on. And, you know, this goes back to what Chad said is, you know, you're going to, that's true. You might end up with this bike over here and it's got a great value prop. It's not the one you wanted though, man. But that's the thing is there's value proposition to what, what you want. And, you know, there's something to be said about that, whether it's about anything in life, right? Is ultimately, you know, somebody will say something like, well, uh, you know, that, that couch is worth more than this one. But if you like that other one more and it costs more, that sounds like it's worth it to me. So, you know, uh, I think I just sold you on purchasing your high-end SL7 there, Ryan. Have we talked about the cost per mile proposition yet on our podcast about how like, so let's say you buy the pro level SL seven, whatever it is. Actually, hang on. I have it. Pulled Which, by up. the way, by the way, uh, uh, it, it should be <laughs> no, cost per kilometer. We're, we're stepping down that way. That way the value is actually better or no. uh, however you want. To. I think you got to buy it in euros. You have to pay in euros if you're going to use the kilometer <laughs> or Canadian dollars. One of those two. Well, yeah. then somebody has to do the math for me, but the expert level SL seven is $8,300. Now let's say last year I rode close to 7,000 miles. I don't remember how many exactly. And like to Eric, Eric has 15,000 miles on his SL seven. So divide whatever that math is. He's at like seven cents per mile. I mean, like, who's going to argue with that? Exactly. I have never once pedaled my bike and went, hmm, did this 50-mile ride today. That that was a couple bucks. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody says that. I, I was thinking of all the watt harnessing that I could have done, and then that actually would turn out to be dollars that I could spend if I were able to sell it. There you go. There's your reverse proposition. Well, I, you know, I just want, I don't want to, I don't want to leave Mike's point. Um, not to wait, say that again, Randy. What did you just say? Like if, if you could harness the Watts and create and keep the energy, you could sell that energy back or use that energy. He's trying and, to be a generator. Yes. Oh, wow. Well, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, doesn't work really out because Randy work. does not ride more than once a week. I mean, he's going to be able, they'll be able to power his toaster <laughs> for one slice of bread. Maybe. 
book. Not even, man. Eric you need to be a track star to slice your, or toast your bread, man. Eric promised me I could keep up with him if I just shaved my legs this summer. I don't need to ride at all. I just yeah. need to shave no. my legs. You'll be able to. That wasn't the promise. The promise it would just suck less, I believe, is kind of what he was referring to. <laughs> Yep. Anyways, I don't want to leave Mike's point, and it's not. This is not. This is not a jab at Ryan, but I think for some of the chumps out there, and I will. I will be one of them. I think when we look at bikes, we value bikes differently. I value the aesthetics of a bike more so than the practical functionality of the bike. So therefore, I am willing to spend different dollars based off of what I feel is an attractive bike, as opposed to what I feel will make me faster. Now, I do things to that bike to make me faster. But I'm not necessarily sure that's what I'm out. I'm I'm looking for right out the gate. I also think that you know there's other amenities that a bike offers that has a convenient factor towards it. And I agree. I think working on them and making them you know making them user friendly from a do-it-yourselfer like myself is definitely a benefit. But when I balance mechanical shifting versus electronic shifting, I don't think I'll ever go back to a mechanical shifting bike because I'm such I'm so in tune to electric shifting now or electronic shifting so I think that also adds a different value limit to what I'm willing to spend and what I'm looking for in a, in a bike so it's not as long as your hoods are charged <laughs> we establish we establish well, I'm, a, I'm a poor battery charger <laughs> <laughs> well I think what Tom Bonin was really getting at this is what I think this is my personal take on this sort of thing is that when we're riding our bikes, the vast, vast majority of the time, it doesn't matter if we're saving 5 watts or 10 watts or any watts. What matters is how do we feel riding the bike. That's why Chad has like 17 steel frame bikes because when you ride those things, you just feel good. You know, Me personally on my tarmac, I just love the way it feels. It doesn't matter if it's fast or slow. I just love the way it feels. And it's really interesting. I found um, – I, I, I have a story. I know a guy – that is good friends with a pro racer. And I'm not going to give away too many details because I'm not trying to get the Velo Chumps podcast in trouble the same way Tom Bonin did. But this pro racer went from one of the teams that Tom Bonin mentioned to UAE. So he went from one of those teams to riding on a Colnago. And this guy I know, he talked to this pro and he said, well, what's what's it like? What's the bike like when you switched from what you were riding on prior to now riding at UAE on the Colnago? And he said, you know, it doesn't really make any difference. I don't really feel a difference until I really have to go all out and really have to do a very intense effort. The bike just doesn't feel as responsive. And that was the rider's, you know, perspective on it. Now... Could he bring any data to the table? Could he bring any scientific facts that showed that one bike was better than another? No, I highly doubt it. But to a rider, if you're riding your bike, you know, 10,000 miles a year, or in a pro case, 30,000 miles a year, if you're riding your bike that much, I think what matters is that you like the way it feels when you push on the pedals. And to me, that is really what makes a bike valuable to you because it's not... It's not about watts. Everyone talks about watts. Everyone talks about all of this technology. But how do you feel when you ride your bike? I mean, that Chad, that's why, you know, you probably have 12 bikes because you keep searching for the perfect ride, I guess, right? 
no i really like building bikes and as a consequence <laughs> i have to ride them when i'm done doing that but i mean i have carbon fiber bikes just like you guys and i i enjoy them i do i like all kinds of bikes but um i i can sort of see that um so i guess what are we saying that tade likes his Kelnago? i mean geez he wins enough on well it. I can't he's imagine he he's paid to he's paid to ride it so he's gonna ride whatever they pay him to ride you know but i'm saying from tom bonin's point of view there might be certain bikes that he just felt felt better riding on than others, and maybe that's what he was referring to. And I think when you're a pro, you might say that if I feel if it feels responsive to me, if it feels fast to me, it must be faster. And because when you're a pro, it is about going fast. It is about winning races. It is about trying to get all of those marginal gains. And maybe in their mind, they think that one bike is so much better than another because it feels better to them. And maybe that's what he was referring to. I don't know. I personally think Tade could win the Tour de France this year on any bike, at least any bike in the pro peloton. I don't know if he's going to win it on a um, a Huffy, but any bike in the pro peloton, I'm pretty sure Tade could win the Tour de France this year. So I think that he's perfectly happy on that bike. I think it'd be you cool know, to know like what these guys would choose if they could have their pick of the litter. I mean, I think the problem think is it, with their all being sponsored that you will never know. Even in no, post, know, even in post life, you know, they're they're yeah, maintaining sponsorships. Saying, yeah, I'm just saying hypothetically. I think it'd be really cool to know what their what their choice would be if given pick of the litter. I think they're going to be very much like the demographic of us cyclists. About half of them don't really give a flip what the bike is. They just want it to work. Then there's this other nerdy group like us that's really going to you know get all nerdy and egg out and just totally love bikes and so they're going to pick a very particular bike and then there's probably some middle ground that somewhere halfway in between and that's it i don't think they're all is in the bikes as we think they are these are this is a diverse group of athletes right some of them just don't care they just want to win a race they don't care what's underneath them to do it i do think fit trumps all well then you should be able to figure out which bike fits you the best and go with that. I, that should I solve know. your problem if it trumps all. Well, and that's I what I was, uh, that's another point I was going to make <laughs> though, Ryan. And sorry, Randy, uh, you were in love with your SL6 Tarmac. SL6 Tarmac is still around. You can go get those and they're relatively inexpensive and you can get them with a disc wheel setup or a, a disc group set. So, you know, if if for some reason that was the one, to me again that trumps everything. Like you say, fit is key. And and just going off of fit though, isn't fit just relative to the bike shop you walk into to say, hey, I'm looking to shop for a bike? Aren't they going to, aren't they going to sell you their bike anyways? If you go into a giant dealer dealership, a track, a spec, whatever. Won't they just sell you a bike because that's ultimately what they're paid to do? Um, so I think for a lot of, sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you. No, let me just, I'll just finish real quick because I, the only thing that I would say is that, you know, you guys are referencing a bike brand that I don't have a lot of familiarity with, you know, I just know the big, you know, the big bike brands. And I think that some of the chumps out there would sit there and go, I don't really know what type of bike I really do need. And if it's fit, how do I know out of the vast you know, selection of bike brands out there. How do I know what brand will fit me the best if fit is truly the thing that I need to gauge, you know, a new bike purchase off of? So what I was going to say to echo that is, so I've had a fit, so I know what my numbers are. So I know what bikes fit me and what my perfect combo is. 
And if I had a public service announcement to give to chumps out there, it would be a fit costs like, depending on where you go, let's just call it $300. And if you're contemplating spending four, five, six, seven thousand $7,000 on a bike, I would highly recommend you go get a fit first and then go bike shopping. But let's talk about, so I, I don't feel like, I feel like I'm going to be argumentative here because, and I don't want to, but I've, t- I've gotten fits from different people and everybody comes back with a different, you know, a different, um, setup for myself. How do you know a fit is a good fit? I've always wondered that. And I think that a lot of chumps would probably be interested in understanding that too. Well, Randy, you buy 54 and 56 bike frames at will. So I don't think you know what your, what your I, fit that's is. That's what I'm saying. I don't know hey. because I haven't no, so- found anybody that could give me a true, you know, a true measurement that works best for me. Cause every, every time I've get, gotten a fit, it's been something different. Okay. I, I was going to say, I think there's two camps of, of the fit that matter, right? If you currently ride, let's call it a road bike. You're riding your road bike today and you are experiencing pain on the bike, whether it's hands, legs, knees, some, like you cannot get rid of this pain. You need a fit just to get comfortable on the bike. Let's start. Maybe you're even riding the wrong size bike. I think that's fit category number one, why you would go to see a professional bike fitter. Then number two is you have been riding bikes for years. You've put thousands of miles on a bike and you're pretty well dialed in. You kind of know what stem. You're pretty sure you know your frame, your crank, et cetera. You're going to go get a bike fit for that final bit of marginal, call it arrow gains. Maybe maybe there you're sacrificing five watts in your pedal stance or your crank. Like that's that's going to be a very incremental fit. You're going to pay the couple hundred dollars just to gain a little bit. So that's the different levels, I think, of the two camps of fit that are out there on the market. So I would say if you're going to go buy a $10,000 S-Works, I'd hope you ride a bike thousands of miles a year and you kind of know I'm a 56 or a 58 and this is my stem. I don't know that that person has to get a fit, especially if they're not competitive. If they're not feeling pain, they're riding today and they're fine, go buy the bike you want if you think you know your numbers. Um, but that that's so, where I'm going to say about the fits. And I'll yeah, I'll that. give you, you my go two cents. Number one is, and anybody listening, is stack and reach are the two geometry terms that you would look at on bike websites. And you should be able to go from manufacturer to manufacturer and get pretty close of course, there's going to be some slight differences when you consider the seat tube angle um, and how high your your seat is, you know, because you know, all of a sudden it's kind of either pushes you back a little bit more if you've got a uh, not as steep of a seat tube and so on and so forth. But so stack and reach are the the two terms there. But Mike, I would argue that that's uh, that's fine for someone like us that knows what we how we feel comfortable on a bike, what we like to ride, where we're going to feel the most, um, you know, pain-free, where we're going to feel the most comfortable. But, I mean, I think there are, to Ryan's point, I, I think there are some basics. I mean, you, you want your leg angle when you're pedaling at a certain at a certain place. You want your foreaft at a certain place. You want your reach at a certain place. And if you don't know any of that stuff yet, it might be worth getting a baseline. And let's be honest, I think all of us kind of, well, maybe not Randy, but I think all of us kind of know where we want to be on the bike because we ride enough. And I think once you ride enough, you can feel where you want to be. But if you're starting out, you know, if you're going out to buy a bike, at least for sure, test ride it, ride on it. And then if you get a chance, find someone else that has a similar size bike with similar stack and reach, like Mike was saying, and try to ride it around and make sure it's comfortable for you. Because once you buy a bike that's out of your size, I mean, you have to really 
it's it might not even be salvageable in terms of adjusting that bike okay. to make it work for you. So I do think that you do need to do some, yeah, some baseline. Yeah, and I agree with everything you said, and I might have jumped ahead of myself there. About the stack and the reach, I would just say I'm kind of thinking about that person. Uh, let's, For example, let's say a woman who rides with us who has a used 2010 Domani uh, or Trek Domani, and she says, I've been riding this thing for eight years. It fits like a glove. It's amazing. If she were to switch to a, mm-hmm. a specialized or a, can, a Cannondale or something, then she could kind of compare the Geo from her old bike to the new. But yes, obviously, for somebody who doesn't know what they're working with, you can't just pull out a stack and reach out of the air and hope for the best. Yeah. But regardless of all of that, what I would say is that to some extent, Ryan is right. The fit is the most important thing. And even if you're not getting it done by a professional, if your seat is too high, you're going to be uncomfortable. If your bars are not in the right place, you're going to be uncomfortable. And all of that, that position is far more important than anything else you can do on your bike. So I guess I would say if you're feeling uncomfortable on your bike, do something about it. Don't ride in pain. Don't ride in discomfort. There are ways you can t- look look on YouTube. Like Mike said, you can go to get a professional fit like Randy said. I mean, like Ryan said. You can come talk to me about it. I'll see what I can do to try to get you uh, fit a little bit better if you're in the area. But importantly, don't ride a bike that's uncomfortable. There's no reason yeah, that you have to do Randy's that. I think Randy's saddle might be a hair high, by the way. I've been meaning to tell you, Randy. <laughs> it was just after the last ride. I just, I just noticed some hip movement. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh it's good i'm gonna shave my legs to offset the the lot lot lost there you go there you go all right well speaking of things that are when it comes to comfort one of the most important things on a bike at comfort when you talk about comfort on a bike is your um contact points so that would be your hands your butt and your feet that's the part that touches the bike and it's important that you have good contact points and one of the key things to your feet contact points are your shoes. Now, we on the Chumps podcast like to talk a lot about this phenomenon that is everything is gravel now. This new, brand new style of riding bikes, gravel. But people were riding bikes off-road. We discussed this in the first episode for years before, quote-unquote, gravel bikes came around. And I guess, Chad, they must have had shoes for riding off-road versus on-road. So, do we need to keep us comfortable on our bikes, gravel-specific shoes? Or is that just something that the industry made up to sell us a new pair of shoes that we didn't really need? So, Green and I got into this in a side conversation. Um, I think earlier in this week, maybe we started late last week. So, where it came about, I wanted to go buy a new pair of off-road shoes, whatever you want to call that, right? And so for me, I was looking at cross-country mountain biking shoes. That's kind of the default, you'll call it the performance shoe. You can buy all kinds of mountain biking shoes for downhills that look like a sneaker, etc. I wanted a mountain bike shoe that looked most analogous to my road shoe that I actually have on my road bike. So the traditional road shoe that most folks buy will be what they call a three-bolt cleat. And so if you go to a bike shore or see this, it's a it's a bigger plastic cleat, either a Look or a Shimano, probably the two most popular. There's some other ones out there, um, Speedplay or, or whatever, kind of make something similar. But that's a road shoe. 
But for mountain biking shoes, there's a two bolt. It's like a metal cleat usually in the middle of the shoe between a set of lugs that you can walk on. Irrespective of that, a cross-country shoe looks very much like a road shoe. So anyway, Chad, I started looking. Can anyway. I just jump in and clarify for the listeners that off-road shoes have those specific cleats because they allow you to still walk in them normally, whereas road shoes have the cleat protruding from the bottom so you walk around like a penguin. Right. Correct. And the and kind of the other main reason for the the SPD cleat is mud, right? You you go off-road, you put your foot down, a lot of times you're going to get it into mud. The intention of that cleat and the pedal it's designed for is to sort of allow you to latch in, clip in with the mud, clear the mud. So the sh- the the shoes, the cleats and the pedals, let's get that straight, they're designed for each yep. other. So for example, you're not going to typically be able to ever clip a mountain bike shoe into a road pedal. So let's Let's clear that up as well. So the bikes I'm going to use these shoes on are designed for the off-road pedal. So it's an off-road shoe made it with an off-road pedal. So I've got a set of road shoes I really like. I want kind of an analogous version of that for gravel riding on my off-road cyclocross bikes, gravel bikes, etc. At the same time, I think Green is looking at new off-road shoes for mountain biking in specific because what, Green, I think you were looking for a comfier pair of shoes to go do Leadville in. So Green's looking at a pair of off-road shoes. I'm looking at a pair of off-road shoes. I've had lots of cross-country shoes, and I think Green actually owns a pair of the gravel-specific shoe from Shimano. So I start looking at all these shoes, and I find what's basically the twin of my road shoe. Um, I I think my road shoe is an RC7. I bought the off-road version of the shoe. It's called the XC7. The average person who is not a cyclist if you saw them in my house, you would probably not tell them apart from each other right away. They, they're that similar. And when you wear them, they actually attach to your foot the exact same way. So, But I'm looking at the gravel shoe, and I'm like, what is going on here? Because the gravel shoe is like twice as expensive. And I'm, you look at the specs, I'm like, it doesn't really look any different than a regular mountain bike shoe. I'm like, Green, please sell me on the benefits of the gravel shoe. Because I'm, I'm really trying to figure this one out when I've literally bought what is, in theory, the same shoe form as my off-road or my off-road shoe is the same shoe form as my performance roadie shoe you would think if i'm racing gravel i want to be kind of like my road bike but off-road why wouldn't i go and and buy these shoes and then you know i saw i start looking at all of the mountain biking shoes out there and it seems like gravel shoes have taken over as the new category so brands like physique and whatnot still sell uh, cross-country mountain biking shoes for lack of a better term but the new thing they're all trying to sell you on is the gravel shoe. And I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what's the difference here. So again, I'm like, I'm not seeing, I feel like there's some shenanigans being played here for lack of a better term and marketing terms going on. And we're just selling mountain bike shoes, but calling them gravel. That's, that's my take on it. And I think for the vast majority of people, if you're going to go off road, just buy a mountain bike shoe, a really good cross country mountain bike shoe. And by the way, so now you've got something you can wear on your mountain bike. The gravel shoe is, Probably a bigger weight difference, um, and I, if if this number in front of me is correct, it's uh, an XC7 is 320 grams for per five, size uh, 42. I believe the RX8 is closer to 260, and that's per shoe, not per pair. <clears throat> Probably insignificant when you feel it on your leg. I don't necessarily think that one is better than the other. The difference, and I think this is why they're marketing this this way. A tread on the mountain bike shoe is more aggressive. It's got bigger edges, and I think the um, 
the way those lugs are sticking out is, is probably a little bit deeper. They look more aggressive, especially when you go to the front. If you go to the front of the shoe, it looks like a more aggressive lug. Um, but not only that, the lugs that you see on a gravel shoe are hard plastic. And, and, and I, I have zero experience when it comes to manufacturing of rubber or plastic. I'm not in... I'm not working for Vandalay Industries on the weekend, but uh, what I was going to say is when I feel those materials, the softer rubbery lugs of a mountain bike shoe kind of come across to me as being heavier and beefier. So ultimately, I think what you're getting when you get a mountain bike shoe is a, a stickier, softer rubber and more aggressive lugs, which are deeper as well. And especially when you look at the front the ball of the foot area. So, you know, if, if, if you were looking at a, a gravel rider or even somebody who's a fast, uh, cross country rider, you're probably going to, you should gravitate towards the gravel shoe. There's probably no reason for it, um, to go to a mountain bike shoe, unless you're just hiking in some hardcore stuff or where you need a hike and bike shoe. Because I used that RX eight in a race last year where I hiked up some extremely muddy terrain during a, a, an absolute downpour, and I still didn't slip and slide down the hill, so it wasn't an issue for me. I, I, I'm just telling you, when I physically look at the shoes, look at the specs, look at the retention systems, it is very difficult to see a meaningful improvement in the world of gravel shoe over XC mountain bike shoe. And I know that Green has already stated he finds the lugs to be vastly more aggressive. I have owned... You know, I think Pearl Izumi makes a gravel shoe. I think I own one of those. I don't notice any difference in the lugs. I got to be honest with you. The whole point of going off-road with the gravel shoe is because I think there's a chance I'm going to have to get off my bike and I'm going to have to walk somewhere that isn't pavement and it could be mud. So at that point, it's like, kind of seems like a mountain bike shoe to me. Yeah. If I was never so going to put have... my foot down, I'd wear my road shoes, right? I mean... Yeah. So I will say I have road shoes and I have gravel-specific like race shoes. And they're the most uncomfortable things I've ever worn and I want to sell them and I regret ever buying them. But my mountain bike shoes are so comfortable. I love them. My road shoes are so comfortable. I love them. Well, so go with the mountain yeah, bike and shoes. I was, I was just going to point out, at least for the RX-8s, Chad, you're getting the, the dual rotation BOA mechanism, which is pretty nice. So the RX-6s definitely drop it down a notch. And the RX-6 price is closer to the XE7 price. So I think the RX six is probably closer to the XC seven if you were going to compare a shoe to shoe. You forgot one key shoe category: the SPD sandal. <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah. I forgot it for a reason. <laughs> yep. Suck it, Ryan. <laughs> I I have a question for Eric. You do. How'd your bike build go today? I'm almost done. Brakes are done. Shifting What's is left? done. I would have been done in time for the podcast, but I lent Mike Green my steer cutter, and I forgot. So I had everything ready. I had the, the the steer two marked where I wanted to cut it, and I went to put the the guide on. Couldn't find it. So then I'm panicking for a minute. I'm like, did I lose my tool? Because this is, as Chad would like to point out, this is not a $15 steer cutter. But then I remembered I lent it to Mike, what, like a month ago or something. So then I had to drive to Mike's house, get back, cut the steer, have everything ready to go. You know, I wanted to test ride it a little bit without 
um, wrapping the bars because I wanted to make sure everything's in the right position. The, the, um, you know, the levers and the hoods are in the right position. So I pretty much got, got it out in just need to wrap the bars and that should be good to go. Cutting it close. First event of the year is like two yeah, and a half I'm weeks good. away. I'm Three good. I'm going to ride it tomorrow. That's the plan. Mike, I was wondering why you took that post off. I was wondering why you took that post down on eBay. <laughs> just set it up on your kicker i use the i use zwift all the time as like the perfect bike fit for setting hoods and stem length it's like if i'm comfy on zwift oh, and that's it's was, gonna be fantastic that's what i was gonna I'm ask eric are you nine out of ten times setting this bike uh the reach the bars the saddle in a similar manner to your sl7 or are you setting it up like your diverge I would I would say a little bit in between. I mean, it's not going to be as as aggressive as the the road bike, but you know, speaking earlier, we were talking about fits. I'm very confident that I can get the bike dialed in exactly how I want it for the riding I want to do, without having a specific professional fit for this bike. Just because I personally have done enough riding that I know where I want to be, where I want my hands to be, where I want my saddle to be, and whatnot. And you know, I actually cut it. I put 20 millimeters of spacers, which typically I think I will probably end up with the the stem down to the to the top tube, right? I'm guessing. But I left 20, 20 millimeters of spacers on because I wanted to have a few different positions to try, like if I want to move it a little bit up, a little bit down, just to dial it in perfect. So I'll probably have to cut it again once I get the final position in place. But anyway, I'm going to ride it tomorrow, see how it feels. And, uh, you know, it'll take me a few days to dial it in and then we'll, uh, you know, do a couple recon rides and, uh, we'll be ready to go for April 1st. Just make sure you put carbon I did. paste on your I did put before you take a new bike on a 15 mile <laughs> ride and realize, oh crap, halfway through the ride, my seat post I, is dropped in. I wonder why that I is. won't say it was because of you, Chad, but I definitely remembered you while I was putting the carbon paste on my seat post. So I'm time. glad you... It made for a great eight miles all the way home. Yep. I'm glad you mentioned. Yep, let me tell you, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned carbon paste, Chad, because that's a, a fantastic segue to my uh, my pro tip of the week. Uh oh, here we go, carbon paste. <laughs> so, you know, I can't wait. Every time I we go riding, Randy <laughs> is just constantly calling me a tree hugger. He, you know, I, he saying that I'm uh, the, the biggest conservationist that he knows. So. <laughs> I, I'm shocked right, that you're right, vegan. Right. Yeah. I uh, volunteer for PETA <laughs> on the weekends. Uh, if if you, you do don't not. have a carbon paste at home, <laughs> wow. a fantastic, yes, uh, you know, alternative organic carbon paste is peanut butter. And it is encouraged by mechanics throughout the country. <laughs> you know, just a little bit of peanut butter either around the, the seat posts or your handlebars. And uh, it wipe off the excess after you tighten everything down. But it's basically the Mike. same thing. This has to be. I have a quick question. Is that creamy peanut butter or chunky peanut butter? Which one do you got to use here? No, I, well, I was going to say you, you actually have to go with creamy because you don't want the chunks in there. That would be gross, Ryan. That's That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever used carbon paste, you know that there's like some well, grit in there, yeah, right? And that that's the thing. There's a little bit of grit, you know, depending on the peanut butter that you that you use, but 
you know. So, so what's better, Mike? Is it like Jif or, or the you know that like Smucker? Skippy. Yeah, Skippy, or is it like the Smuckers like natural yeah. stuff? Like which, I, which I, one? Should I you can't use say for this? offhand, but I could tell you that carbon carbon paste itself actually tastes like crap. So that's that's the problem with it. <laughs> yeah, I would believe that. For those of you listening out there. Do not put peanut butter anywhere near your bike. Just to clarify, this is a terrible idea. Do not do it. But, you know, it's it's funny to talk about, I guess. But, I mean, if you decide to do it, at least you know where you could get some extra calories on those long rides that you fuel. Oh, my goodness. If Mike, I want you to put peanut butter on your um, – next time you change out your stem, put some peanut butter – on your bars and report back right. how that went. All right. We're done. We're done. Eric, do you need to wrap it up with any vid, uh, sign out here? I guess. I guess I should, huh? Yeah, well, thanks for listening. If you want to keep listening, we would encourage you to give us a rating, a review, tell your friends, get more people listening to the Velo Chumps podcast so we can keep giving you great stories and great pro tips, not like putting peanut butter instead of carbon paste. You know, we'll, if, if we can get some more listeners, we'll have a better pro tip next week. So with that, we're going to sign out. Thanks for joining. Talk to you next week. All right. Good night, guys. Oh. So just for clarification, we can't, peanut, we can't use peanut butter, right? Yeah. Hummus. No. Hummus would Don't definitely be it. recommended over peanut butter, Randy. Don't be ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, it's you got to use margarine. margarine. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. One of you picked a law degree real soon. We're gonna need it. Hey, have you even been listening to what I've been saying? I've been talking to you for the last ten minutes.